0: They're almost like a mission statement. I don't know. You yeah, know, back when I was back when I was a young man, um, just starting out in the corporate you world. You still
1: had the hair of a young man, <laughs> right? It's, that's weak. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Pledge of the Text podcast, a shared imaginative space where readers and writers make meaning together. We're your hosts, Shannon and Gareth.
0: Hello, Shannon. Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year to you, Gareth. What did you get up to for the New Year's?
0: Um, not a lot. I slept through New Year's, but, uh, you know, that was because I was so tired waiting for it. Like I was, you know, really pumped up and ready for the next year. It just wore me clean out and I missed the beginning, uh, which was not, uh, see how I do this was not the most auspicious beginning to my new year. Right. Did you have an auspicious beginning to your new year?
1: Yes, I did because I aired out all my dirty laundry the night of 2022. I talked about my most embarrassing moments, what I was going to let go, what I learnt and what I would not do again. So I'd kind of Rethought and rehashed my 2022, ready for my auspicious beginning on the dark and stormy night of the first of January 2023.
0: Very nice. Where were bed. you airing these out? Was this was this on on Twitter or have you got a podcast I don't know about? What's what's where were you airing out all these? Well, secrets? this
1: is my secret podcast for Patreon supporters only. Um, if you're interested, send me an email. <laughs> 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 Your name might have come up in that and I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> like and subscribe. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. So, well, we're doing we're doing Auspicious Beginnings, but the the episode is called It Was a Dark and Stormy Night because as we all know, uh Snoopy from Peanuts, Snoopy was always writing his novel and always beginning it with the line It was a dark and stormy night. So that's become a bit of a cliché. Um but it was actually the beginning of a novel of a, of a, of a, a, r- a relatively important novel uh, called Paul Clifford from 1830 um, do you want to do you want to read the full first it's a long first sentence
1: uh yeah so the author was Edward George belwer Lytton
0: I'm going to say Bulwer Lytton
1: Bulwer Lytton okay yeah
0: but Ed, you know Edward that made Edward George Bulwer
1: Lytton Yeah. It was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in torrents, except at occasional intervals, when it was checked by a violent gust of wind, which swept up the streets, for it is in London that our scene lies, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating the scanty flame of the lamps that struggled against the darkness.
0: So that's the original It Was a Dark and Stormy Night. Uh, And that's... uh That's actually from um, the American Book Review. The editors selected 100 of the most memorable first lines of novels. And so that made it in at number 22. I don't know if if this was done, if they were ranked. I think it was just 100 in any order. Um, Our favorite it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Came in at number two, Jane Austen, *Pride and Prejudice*. Did you did you go through this list? Did you have any favourites, Sean?
1: Yes, I did, um, and there's some that are very familiar. So it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. So everyone knows *A Tale of Two Cities* by Charles Dickens. You also had. Wait, was wait, Black, sorry, Cold. I was going to
0: interrupt. What do you think of that one? Because its power is those, just the bit you quoted, but that's not the first sentence.
1: Yeah, you're right. So the full sentence is, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity, it was the season of light, it was the season of darkness, it was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. So, I don't know if
0: that's that good, right?
1: The first, the first part's the best part. By the time yeah. you've gotten to it, was a spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. You've dragged on. I get the point. You are making, uh, you are highlighting the differences between two extremes here.
0: Yeah, but, yeah.
1: I mean, this is eighteen fifty nine. His editor might have liked it at the time.
0: That's true. It's it's a bit rough, isn't it? Um, mm. What about uh, we'll just trade for trade, shall we? What about Lolita? Lolita. Oh, that's a good one. L- light of my life, fire of my loins, and then it goes on from there, and it's actually wonderful. Uh, it sounds out all the syllables and such, but that's a great first line from yeah. Nabokov's Lolita. What what else struck you?
1: Uh, Of course, this one. You are about to begin reading Italo Calvino's new novel, If On a Winter's Night, a Traveller.
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic one. Mm.
1: Um,
0: Samuel Beckett's Murphy. I I believe Beckett wrote three novels. Um, You know, he's primarily a playwright. But the beginning of Murphy, the sun shone having no alternative on the nothing new I just think that's so depressing. And then, of course, you got Camus, Mother Died Today, uh, from oh, The Stranger, yeah, I saw that. Which, is, which is excellent. Um, I'll give you one more just for the depressing ones. 1984, it was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13.
1: Oh, here's a good one. Um, Toni Morrison's para- Paradise, They Shoot the White Girl First.
0: That's really interesting, isn't it? Mm. What else have we got here? Uh, Slaughterhouse (laughs) 5 begins with all this happened, more or less.
1: Uh, I wonder if by the time I hit 40, I'll feel the same. So Dr. Weiss at 40 knew that her life had been ruined by literature.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's one to take on board. I, I like this one. It's, it's from a, it's a Gilbert Sor, uh, Sorrentino novel, Imaginative Qualities of Actual Things. I haven't read it. 1971. And the first sentence is, what if this young woman who writes such bad poems in competition with her husband, whose poems are equally bad, should stretch her remarkably long and well-made legs out before you so that her skirt slips up to the top of her stockings? Oh, so I've got two –
1: yeah, I've got two that I want to read. So this one reminds me of the Exploding Kittens game, card game. It was the day my grandmother exploded in M. Banks, the Crow Road in 1992. And then – this one's a bit more depressing. We started dying before the snow, and like the snow, we continued to fall. Uh, Louise Erdick tracks
0: that's beautiful Uh, there's another this is the companion piece towards the dark and stormy night this is sylvia plath's the bell jar from 1963 it was a queer sultry summer the summer they electrocuted the rosenbergs and i didn't know what i was doing in new york
1: that's fantastic so auspicious beginnings um I think we get told a lot that the first line, the first paragraph, the first page, the first chapter is so important. Why is that?
0: Well, I guess because readers potentially think so. Um, and certainly there is a real pleasure in these first lines. Um, mm. They're intriguing for lots of, uh, for lots of different reasons. Um, i just got to give you one more. I just think this is so beautiful. The past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. That's LPR, at least, the go-between. And, yeah, I mean, immediately I want to read that book. So yeah. clearly a strong first line is, is a powerful endorsement of what's to follow. I I kind of agree with Margaret Atwood, though, that people can become a little bit obsessed with beginnings and endings. And forget yeah. about all the stuff in between, which is quite important too. Um, 100%. I mean, how long do you give a book, Shannon? Like, if you, for example, here's a hypothetical you're reading a book, it begins Vaughn died yesterday in his last car crash. And now that's a pretty intriguing line. But let's say the rest of it's just a bit rubbish. How long before you put the book down? How long does a first sentence hold you in place?
1: That's a really good question. So I generally give a book three to four chapters. Uh, and it also depends on the size of the book as well. Um, that first line is not going to save it. The first chapter is not going to save it. Yeah, the middle is way more important than that first line. And you can't expect every f- sentence that you write to just be as amazing as some of these here.
0: Well, no, in, 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 that's entirely true. And, I mean, uh, there are a lot of incredible books that did not make this list of 100. Um And there's no guarantee, although I think there's a decent chance, but there's no guarantee that the rest of the books quoted in this list are up to snuff, based simply on their first lines. Um, Obviously, in the show notes, we'll include a link to the full list of 100. Uh, Definitely worth checking out if you enjoy a first line of a novel. So, yeah, Auspicious Beginnings. I, I think writers do generally focus very heavily on beginnings um perhaps they're almost like a mission statement i don't know you yeah, know back when i was back when i was a young man uh, just starting out in the corporate you world you still
1: have the hair of a young man
0: <laughs> right it's, that's weak um mission statements were a really big deal I don't know if they still are, but, like, at the time it was just like, if you don't have a mission statement, you're basically not doing anything. Mm. Uh, And so I wonder if first lines for emerging writers particularly are mission statements. You get a good, strong first sentence and you're like, this is my bar. I'm going to try and stay there.
1: I think the other side of that is um – perfectionism. If the first line isn't perfect, you can't move on to the actual hard work of writing the novel. And I did see this in a lot of, especially writing theses, people would start at the introduction, whereas my supervisor said, do the body and then you go back and do the introduction last. And I can't see why that wouldn't work while writing a novel because you kind of have Hmm. developed the tone, the style of the novel as you've worked through it. And then you're you're trained almost, you're conditioned to then write the start.
0: Well, I mean, I can tell you why it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work if your first draft was also going to be your last draft. Um,
1: How often is that?
0: Well, that, I mean, no, I mean, that shouldn't happen. Uh, but that would be <laughs> the reason. So if you're thinking, I'm going to write a perfect book, it should begin perfectly. And therefore, and so it's a whole mindset um, mm. the, the, linear approach. Whereas if you think, oh, well, I'm going to be doing draft after draft, uh, then suddenly the beginning is not nearly so important. And indeed you could write the first chapter and then realize that the first page is redundant and you've got this fantastic line, with six paragraphs in that would be a great beginning. So you chop that first page out or the first chapter. Or, you know, it could be anything. Yeah. So, I guess the, the lesson we can take from that is that when we begin, we don't know that we've begun.
1: Oh, that was so good.
0: I know. You had well, another it's the beginning quote. That,
1: yeah, you had another quote that you wrote down. I think um, your past is a list of, prom- your life is a series of promises you've made to yourself. So I still I don't know what that it. one
0: means it just it was in my head one night and like I woke up with it in my head and I wrote it down and it's looking at me now and I'm like it beats me what that means but I think when you begin you don't know that you've begun yeah. in a sense um you, you're you find the beginning at some point later in the process um so so I think that's that's worth having as a bit of a mission statement in lieu of a great first line is this idea that, yeah, you could start in the middle. You may have a very strong image of an incidental character that you want to have in your book, and maybe you'll write about them as the first point. And clearly, you know, that's not likely to be the beginning of the book, but you never know. I mean, who's to say what's going to happen in the jumble of drafts? Mm. So uh, yeah, so, I think one auspicious beginning is the beginning that you don't know you you've done yet. That's part of what makes it auspicious.
1: Yeah, and not only are auspicious beginnings. Uh, the first line or the first chapter, uh, the first book, so debut novels. Mm. And I know you sent through a list of some of the best debut novels. Did you want to talk a bit on that?
0: Yeah. I mean, this was a largely personal list, but to be honest with you, um, so the, the author of this was uh, Emily Temple. We'll stick the publication in the show notes. I can't remember what publication it was, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, so you've got uh, Madame Bovary as a, as an example of a great first novel. Gustave Flaubert, uh, it's the one he's known for. If if you have ever heard of Flaubert, you're going to say, "Oh yeah, Madame Bovary," right? So that was his first his first novel. Uh, nothing he did thereafter quite lived up to it, I and mean, it's not to say he wrote junk either. It's just that Madame Bovary eclipses everything else. Um, I believe the author of Eat, Pray, Love uh, realized Elizabeth Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert. She realized uh, when it took off that that was it. She that was her going to be her peak of popularity. And to mm. try to enjoy it, and also to try to remember that she can still write after that.
1: That's really interesting because I was listening to a podcast on my way to Albany. Mark Manson. So he's the guy you would have gone into any airport, any news, news agency, and seen that orange book titled "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck." Oh yeah. So I don't know if I've got to beat that out, but anyway, um, <laughs> so that was his first book, and he was talking about so. As an emerging writer, a writer, you think, oh, no one's going to read this book. I'm going to be a failure. So you're always thinking about the failure aspect, but no one thinks, what if this is it? What if this is the huge success? And he said after that, because it was so popular, it sold uh, 8 million copies, I think. So he'd hit it big. And he said after that, he's like, what's next? And he fell into a kind of depression because he'd already hit the pinnacle, um, He'd imagine writing until he was 40, 50, 60. Eventually one was going to be it, but it was the first one and nothing he could do afterwards would match that. So there's two different dangers, I think, the danger of thinking about failing and the danger of potential success when you're a writer.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, I guess the thing you have to ask yourself is, you know, is it is it the success that I'm looking for, popularity? Uh, mm. you know, it could be that I mean, uh when you talk about um who wrote Lord of the Flies? I'm just blanking out.
1: Oh, William okay. Golding. I just type it up.
0: No, I've got it. William Golding okay. It came to me. <laughs> um <laughs> So, you know, Lord of the Flies is is William Golding's masterpiece. However, I would say that The Spire is a better book. The Spire by William Golding. Uh, I strongly recommend that book to anyone who's interested yeah. in fanaticism as a, as, a, as a concept. Now, I don't know if down the track, you know, hundreds of years from now that we're looking at 20th century literature and they'll go, you know, that Spire was pretty darn good though, wasn't it? And then suddenly that'll be his big book. You never know for, for sure. Um, you know, Joseph Heller with Catch-22 uh, pretty much – uh you know nailed himself to the wall like like it was going to be very difficult to beat that book and he certainly had a number of very good goes at it uh something happened closing time which was a sequel to uh, catch 22 but he couldn't he couldn't eclipse catch 22 I and mean, particularly because you know it's 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 part of the idiom we I mean, talk about catch 22s all the time in fact peaking too early is a is a you know a a kind of catch-22 um yeah one of my favorites uh the tin drum tin drum was the gateway book for me to get really heavily into european literature um gunter grass this was his first novel a sprawling amazing thing um and salman rushdie uh, makes a point in the New Yorker. Again, I'm taking this from the article listing the books, but I think it's really interesting. And the quote is, if Grass had never written that novel, his other books were enough to earn him the accolades I was giving him. And the fact that he had written the tin drum as well placed him among the immortals. That's a, that's a lovely way of putting it. Um, Mm -hmm. because yeah, I mean, the book that Immediately follows the Tin Drum. Cat and Mouse it's, it's a very slim novel compared to the Tin Drum, which is a big chunker. Um, yeah, but it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary book. Um, so I suppose, uh, uh, you know, it, one another way of looking at it is almost to say, "Here's your immortal work. Now let's just place that off to the side." <laughs> What else have you done that's good? Let's just pretend you didn't write that one. Let's see what else is there. And that might be a way for people to approach it uh, in their own heads. It's quite a strange thing to talk about, actually, isn't it? Because, of course, uh, we're talking as emerging writers, most likely to emerging writers. So the, the idea of dealing with unparalleled success is <laughs> here's, here's our advice on how to deal with unparalleled success. It um, yeah. seems a bit strange. Jane Eyre um Charlotte mm. Bronte's Jane Eyre that that sort of uh I mean she wrote uh, Villette which you know is is considered a classic but if you say Charlotte Bronte people will immediately shoot back Jane Eyre
1: Yeah um to kill a mockingbird so Harper Lee's debut novel <laughs>
0: Yeah, now I mean she didn't really write anything else though, did she? She watched To get to go a watchman or
1: something. Go
0: set a watchman, but it's essentially a first yeah. draft of To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, Bird. exactly. Yeah. So
1: that's her first and only novel, and there you go, it's on the list, um, The Hobbit by J. R. Tolkien. So this was his first debut novel. Fantastic novel in my opinion.
0: Do you think Lord of the Rings eclipsed it though? Uh,
1: so The Hobbit for me was a children's book which could be enjoyed by adults whereas The Lord of the Rings, is very difficult for a child to navigate into Lord of the Rings so they're very different. Um, yeah, actually I do. I think The Hobbit does eclipse Lord of the Rings.
0: Okay. That's interesting. Um, what others do you know that that you would say – It doesn't have to be a first novel either, obviously, um, first, second, third, you know, early on. Uh, Are there any others that you would um, chuck into the mix?
1: I've got on this list here Frankenstein was Mary Shelley's first debut novel, but I'm not sure if that's really correct.
0: Um, She wrote Shirley as well, which I think Mm. I mentioned in the last episode. Um, And that book was held back from publication for a century so uh, difficult to assess their relative success because yeah. the audience had you know died twice over <laughs> before <laughs> they got to read it so so yeah um but i mean you know uh, we mentioned uh, camus before um, my mother died yesterday yeah. that book Is an early one of his and it pretty much is the book when people talk about Camus, The Stranger slash Outsider is the book that will be mentioned every time. And there are others like The Plague, which is an incredible novel.
1: Yeah, you said he wrote the same book different ways um, because he was playing with a concept. Is that The Outsider and The Stranger or did he do it a few more times?
0: No, that was, uh, so that was, oh my gosh, hang on. Let me just look over on my shelf cause I'm forgetting. Um, yeah, So Camus wrote a happy death and that is an amazing book if you haven't read it, but he, he wrote it and he went, this is, this is good, but I can do better. So he shelved it and he rewrote the story with significant changes and that became the outsider. Uh, and that I think we should do a whole episode on that at some point um, because this decision he took to take what is a really, really good book, like he got really close, and just to say, nah, chuck it over your shoulder, begin again. He changed so much about it. Uh, more than half the book is com- radically altered. Uh, and And then he created a masterpiece. So he could obviously tell the difference. Yeah. Which is pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, that would make an interesting episode. Uh there, there are a few examples of writers uh chucking the baby out with the bathwater and finding a new baby and that turning out to be the pretty one. So yeah, that yeah. could be worth doing.
1: Yeah, didn't also Ernest Hemingway uh he wrote a full draft a completed draft manuscript of one of his books. He lost the manuscript and they end up writing one of his masterpieces. And I can't quite remember if it was *The man at the sea or another one.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. Maybe it was a farewell to arms.
1: Yeah. Maybe it was farewell to arms.
0: Gosh, man. I wonder, cause he was not a quick writer. Uh, so that would have been really stressful.
1: Oh, God. And because it was all in typewriters as well. Yeah. Man.
0: Yeah, you'd be terrified of airflow, wouldn't you? Like, someone had open a window and the <laughs> you know, whole novel's well, gone.
1: One of the best scenes in Love Actually, one of the characters, is writing a novel, wind blows it away, and they're in the river trying to get all the different pieces. Very romantic.
0: That is romantic. there's a similar scene in um wonder boys oh
1: yes there is yeah but he wanted to lose that i think that was quite a good metaphor
0: yeah i think it was a, a good thing in the long run that that book blew away
1: yeah and i think the quote was by making no choices you've made a choice
0: yeah yeah which is an interesting idea but I mean, stories do work that way, don't they? Like with, within every choice made, there are all these unmade choices where the reader's imagination may actually end up going. Uh, yeah, that's always a fascinating thing. So, so yeah, I mean, a, a career can get off to a great start, and then it—you know—if it does, it that means that the rest of it is not going to be as good. Uh, you know, if you have a brilliant that's start, true. that's the brilliant start. <laughs> um i, I was it fitzgerald who said there are no second acts uh, something like that uh yeah i i i don't think i don't think you really know though unless it's a runaway massive thing like the the harry potter books at that point that was it uh for jk rowling like everything she did was going to be seen as a lesser thing because it's not just the quality of the work, is it? It's a, it's a a phenomenon that occurs. Yeah. People take up something and uh, you can't match that because it's not purely about quality. I I think uh, it's a zeitgeist thing and, and there's not much you can do about it.
1: Yeah. It's uncontrollable. I don't know if you can move the variables, play the chessboard to get to that level.
0: Yeah and and the other thing that we can take away from these uh great early starts um and for for those people listening uh, you know if you happen to be a late bloomer which is a, a nice way of describing someone you know who's getting on if you're a late bloomer like me uh you know it could be a good thing cuz you don't want to peak too young right so there's always an upside yeah uh and first lines great first lines don't guarantee that you're going to have, you know, your peak, uh, because, you know, not all the books on the list, their great first lines, are the peak books of the authors. So yeah, that's all quite good. Nevertheless, uh, people do enjoy beginnings. And I thought maybe uh, this week, just to get us off to some, some writing mayhem, uh, we would do writing prompt. So writing prompts are very common. Yeah, they're a very common uh, exercise in creative writing. And I did find, you know, so I've just been on the net stealing other people's hard work. I did find uh, at the literacy, the literacy, the literacy uh, They've got a, a page called the Story Starter Shed, and people have submitted um, various first lines for stories. Uh, now you should have that in front of you, Shannon. Yes.
1: Yes, I do.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So what I found was that many of these were not very interesting to me because they were quite general. For example, I didn't mean to kill her is the first one. Uh, and obviously that is a prompt. Um, there is an act attached to it, an act of killing, and it was unintentional and all that. But I thought it would be much more interesting to go through this list and find bits of sentences that interested you and put that mm. together. And that's what I would recommend the listeners do at home. Find a writing prompts page, find bits of sentences, and marry them together. So I've got one for, for you and me, Shannon. So oh,
1: you've made it for us.
0: I've made one that for us to both do together. Um, so oh, anyway. the original lines were wandering through the graveyard. It felt like something was watching me. And the other one was bleary eyed. I went downstairs for breakfast. The house was empty. Even the furniture had gone. And both of those are, are perfectly fine writing prompts, but they are somewhat general. There's a lot of space to build something. And I think a good writing prompt should Shove you in a corner. That's what I believe. Should box you <laughs> in and go right your way out of this corner. See if you can do You're it. You're
1: my prisoner.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I'm taking the first bit of the first uh, example and the second or the last bit of the second example. So what I've got for us is wandering through the graveyard. It felt like even the furniture had gone. Oh wandering through the graveyard it felt like even the furniture had gone And i think that's a much more interesting writing prompt it's very specific but also it makes no goddamn sense so you've yeah. got you've got a lot to work with there in terms of making it make sense and finding your particular version of specific so should we give that a, a whirly bird what do you think
1: Yes. Um, Let's give that a whirly bird. Um, I'll count us in on three.
0: Yeah. How many minutes are we giving ourselves and our listeners? And and obviously at home, feel free Mm -hmm. to use that prompt. But as I say, find a writing prompt site, pull out bits. Great fun.
1: I don't know why I always think of six, six minutes.
0: Six minutes is fair. Uh, Yeah, that'll work. Okay. All right. So we'll count down from six. Six.
1: Five. <laughs> yeah. Four. Three. How how did you go on that one? I beat you to it, sorry.
0: No, that's okay. Um, Yeah, I I think uh, I got something interesting. I'm I'm pretty excited.
1: Okay, did you want to share?
0: Yeah, I'll share first. Um, Wandering through the graveyard, it felt like even the furniture had gone. The stones lay in pieces all around, marble and limestone, forming a mosaic in the dirt. She tried to piece together this picture, looking for meaning here if nowhere else, but it was too abstract to clearly make out. The plush mounds of the newer graves had been trampled down, their stuffing compressed or scattered like the stones. Nevertheless, she stood there, there out in the open, needing this place to be more of a graveyard than anywhere else. More than her own little house, the local shops, the post office, the municipal park, but they all looked like graveyards now. Castles stomped down into miles and miles of sand.
1: Oh, wow. So the first line hooked me and then the, the second line that hooked me in that was she needed this place to be more of a graveyard now than any other because everywhere else seemed like a graveyard.
0: Yeah, you could almost start this story with that second line
1: yeah
0: um but yeah that was a clear turning point for me as i was trying to work out why on earth this this graveyard had been trashed so badly uh and then i kind of came up with the idea of say a nuclear explosion or similar that had turned everything in her life into the same kind of rubble and she went to the graveyard for a more funereal experience and was disappointed not to Have that.
1: Very nice.
0: Thank you. Yeah, no, it's an interesting concept. I'm actually quite pleased with it. I I could even imagine developing that one. How did you go?
1: Uh, I struggled at the start, so it's a bit um, barer than yours. Wandering through the graveyard, it felt like even the furniture had gone. Having removed the Christmas lights at twilight, Shadows blossomed in the empty spaces, and the ghosts no longer glowed festively. The red added a delightful glow, uh, blush to their ethereal faces, while the green provided a ghoulish appearance of decay. Mrs. Pompery, who I typically used, typically used as a couch, her belly and limbs bloated with gout and excess fat, contributed to a sinking effect, perfect for a hard day's work of digging up bodies. I sit on her belly and wrap her heavy limbs around me like a weighted blanket.
0: Wow, what a what an incredible image. Um, yeah, it's sort of both comforting and gross. <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's what's going on in 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 this in this piece?
1: In this, um, well, I was just like, what furniture do you have in a graveyard? And then I was imagining using the bodies as. Objects, so like a table. You've arranged the body into a position, and building your walls out of bones.
0: <laughs> oh my, that's uh, that's that's delightful. Um, that's probably not the word, <laughs> but uh, no, that's really interesting. You really you really got off to something there, didn't you?
1: Yeah, we'll see if this turns up into anything later on.
0: Yeah, well, I think the you see the thing is when you make it that specific, by by making it. In a sense, not make sense by pulling out bits that you find interesting and shoving them together anything you might have otherwise been thinking about is not going to be available to you so you're genuinely going to go somewhere new and i think that's the key to a good writing prompt an auspicious beginning needs to be extremely uh, sort of uh specific and and in some ways aberrant and uh and I think that wandering through the graveyard—it felt like even the furniture had gone—hits the mark for that kind of thing.
1: It really does. I had no idea where to go with it until I started writing, putting a pen to paper or fingers to keyboard.
0: Yeah, well, look, I think I think we both came up with something interesting, um, and uh, yeah, I'd be very I'd be very curious to read your story of human furniture. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that would be fantastic, uh, and yeah, what what an auspicious beginning! Better than it was a dark and stormy night, right? Like mm.
1: uh,
0: you got to you got to go somewhere. Uh, agreed. New. Yeah, yeah.
1: Auspicious beginning for 2023, and we'd love to hear what the audience, uh, if they used this prompt or they made their own prompts, and send it in. We can read it out in the next episode.
0: Well I guess that does yeah. that wrap us up? Are we are we wrapped up for the uh for the episode?
1: For the year. For the year. <laughs> it's
0: like, well, that's twenty twenty three, three, don't I'm just gonna have a nice nap for eleven months. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um,
1: well that is us wrapped up for the day. Um And I'm going to head off. I'm going to take my nana out for a coffee. And what are you up to?
0: Oh, I am going to spend the day playing silly uh, computer games with Joan. I'm just going to mindlessly veg out and kill zombies and leap across moons and such.
1: That is a great idea. A really good one, Overcooked. Overcooked. Uh, Luke and I played that over Christmas. It sounds really silly. You've got to cook food uh, for a big meatball. Otherwise he destroys your planet, but, um, it is, it's a lot of fun. A lot of teamwork as well. I I'm going to go because I feel like I can talk to you all morning. Um, yeah.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, um, until next week when we're doing something else. (laughs) Yeah, until next week.
1: Until next week, everyone, we'll see you then. See you then. Goodbye.